Welcome to the Indirect Vision Podcast, where it is our mission to help pre-dental and dental students make better decisions through the application of new and unique perspectives. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Hancock. Dr. Hancock graduated from Northwestern University in 1976, and he's interested in TMJ, TMJ disorders, complex restorative dentistry, and oral facial pain disorders. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Hancock. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. So, Dr. Hancock, you are interested in oral facial pain. Yes. I'm just curious, where did that interest stem from? Well, I started my career uh, within 12 months of graduation by studying complex restorative dentistry. Mm -hmm. Part of that was also including the treatment of temporal mandibular joint disorders. So in 1977, 78, 79, dentistry looked at temporal joint disorders and thought that there would always be a dental solution to the problem. In other words, rebuilding the occlusion, altering the occlusion, replacing missing teeth, and things like that. Hmm. After, by, well, by 1980, Three or 84, I realized that some of those treatments were not helping my patients that had temporal mandibular joint disorders. Hmm. So honestly, there was a period of time in the mid-80s where I was raising my kids and I didn't expand my knowledge base a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But by the late 1980s, early 1990s, um, I was looking for other treatment modalities or other diagnostic criteria for my patients that were coming in with joint pain or muscle pain or headache pain or those types of things. Mm -hmm. So the expansion <clears throat> of our of dentistry's understanding of temporal mandibular joint disorders expanded considerably in the 80s and the, these it's now especially, but in those days, the I'll use the term subspecialty mm -hmm. of orofacial pain developed because other practitioners were seeing some success with what they did, but they were also seeing failures with what they did, and they were trying to figure that out. Hmm. Um, did you take significant continued education like with Dawson or Spear? When I you were learning yes. about that? Yeah, I completed my complex restorative dentistry education was through the Pankey Institute okay. and the Dawson okay. Center. Okay. And uh, a good, a fair amount of work through Spear. Okay. My, the, the largest portion of my, I'm going to say complex temporomandibular joint disorder training and orofacial pain disorder training has been with uh, Jeff Okeson and their program at the University of Kentucky mm -hmm. and with our dissection group and that's uh, Terry mm -hmm. Tanaka's uh, Clinical Research Foundation. Okay, Terry Tanaka, he's in California, right? Yes. Okay. okay. Um, what, which one of those would you say had the biggest ROI in your practice? Uh, honestly, I would tell you both of them had equal ROIs. Or so, Pinky Dawson or Terry? Uh, or no, uh, or Tanaka and Okuson had the Okuson. biggest impact on my practice because 
they helped me differentiate between what was a true occlusal muscular problem, mm -hmm. which I could easily treat with dentistry, mm -hmm. and what was a TMD or an orofacial pain or a chronic pain problem that was going to take other work beyond just complex restorative dentistry to solve the case or resolve the case. So would you determine that based on like clinical findings, just moving their jaw, or was it mostly by asking them questions, asking the patients questions? It, about I, I would say a complex and, and comprehensive oral exam was just always part of my practice, even mm -hmm. for somebody coming in that just was looking to have their teeth cleaned. Mm -hmm. But a, com a comprehensive exam and then a comprehensive temporomandibular joint exam and then an orofacial pain exam if the patient had those signs or symptoms. Uh, so that exam, well, I would do my comprehensive exam on the patient first if I felt there, because I'd have an hour to do that. Mm -hmm. If I felt it was a complex temporomandibular joint disorder problem or an orofacial pain problem, they would be rescheduled for another exam because that took anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes to complete mm. all that. Wow. Um, were there any telltale signs that pointed to, okay, this is just a dental problem, that this can be fixed dentally, versus, the, okay, this is definitely a complex mm -hmm. team? Yes. Uh, one of the primary signs or the primary things that patients would share with us is the length of time that they had had the, oh. let's say the pain, mm -hmm. just a, the general term. Mm -hmm. uh, the frequency, did it last, did it? Did you have two or three episodes a month or two mm -hmm. or three episodes a day? Okay. Um, and just to be clear, the two to three episodes a day, that's TMD, and then the two to three episodes a month, is that more something that can be fixed dentally or? Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, and, and some of it would depend. We could we could always load test our joints. Essentially, if, we're, if we th think it's a temporomandibular joint problem, we can load test the joint. Mm -hmm. And if the patient can choose something that's really hard or sticky or whatever, and there's no joint pain, then it's not a, f a function of how they chew. Mm -hmm. If they have pain in the joint when they're chewing something soft, then it is something that's related to the way they chew. Mm. So, um, the length of time that the patient had had the pain was probably the key factor. So if they'd had pain, let's say, well, this started six months ago and I had joint pain here. Mm -hmm. And I got better for a little bit, but then it came back and now it's here all the time. Mm. That probably was a temporomandibular joint problem originally, mm -hmm. but now it's progressed to a chronic pain problem. So there's an entire set of Neurological issues, or, or, or neurological issues, or neuropathies that are occurring, mm. or there's a biopsychosocial component to people mm -hmm. that have chronic pain. So even if I eliminate or could eliminate the organic cause of the problem, mm. some of those people that had suffered for six months or a year mm -hmm. would still have some pain issues. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's very interesting. So it's just. Orofacial pain is just fascinating from the standpoint of, 
of the physiology, not so much the anatomy, but the physiology and, and neurophysiology of why chronic pain issues occur. So if a patient came in with a significant pop or click in the jaw, mm -hmm. but they didn't feel any pain, would you do anything about that? No. No? I, when I first imp started in practice, yeah, we treated everybody with a splint, occlusal equilibrations, and things like that. Uh -huh. And we probably had, in all honesty, a 50% success rate. They might still pop and click, but they didn't have any pain. They could function. Mm -hmm. um, as, as that field of study evolved, mm -hmm. dentistry, be, dentistry realized that patients that have popping and clicking joints that are asymptomatic can still function well. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's some minor anatomical changes in the joint, but mm -hmm. you really can't correct them or fix them. They're mm -hmm. going to continue. Mm -hmm. So only if the patient had pain with a popping, clicking joint did we institute splint therapy or physical therapy or things like that to help okay. alleviate the pain. That makes sense. If, if you look at orthopedic medicine, uh -huh. one of the rules in orthopedic medicine is that in our lives at some point, any of us are going to have joints that pop and click mm. and make noise. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean particularly that it's a progressive disease or things like that. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so I want to transition into teaching because okay. right now you're a faculty member at Midwestern University. Yes. And I just want to know what, what got you interested in becoming a faculty member or a professor? Well, in 2000, I believe it was in the fall of 2012. Mm -hmm. No, I'll go back even further. I believe in 2010, I met one of the full-time faculty people that were here, and mm -hmm. they were just taking their very first class, graduating class. Hmm. Um, so maybe it was even before that, because I believe the first graduating class was 2011 or 12. Okay. Um, I I met this gentleman at a meeting out at the Spear Inst or at yeah at the Spear Institute. Mm -hmm. um, he then asked me to come out and help interview prospective students for the second year class. Mm. And it was kind of interesting, but you mm -hmm. know, I, was I had a five-day-a-week practice yeah. or a four-day-a-week practice. Mm -hmm. um, and he was after me to come on to the faculty full-time and go to the clinic side, which I didn't have any burning desire to do. Mm -hmm. um, in 2012, I phoned the dean's office and said, are there any part-time positions available? And they said, well, yes, and, but we'll call you when we have interviews. Mm -hmm. So they called me in the spring of 2013, mm -hmm. and I came out to school, and I interviewed with uh, the dean at that time, and I actually interviewed with Dr. Smith because he was mm. the associate dean for preclinical pre sciences. Okay. And then Dr. Morrow took me around the sim clinic and they hired me for one day a week. So I came as a D1 instructor okay. uh, in 2013. And after, heavens, after four or five weeks, I thought this place is fantastic. Mm. I would like to be here more. Mm -hmm. So, in the 2014-15 mm -hmm. 
year, I was able to come on. Uh, Dr. Smith hired me to come two days a week mm. and teach the D2s D2. in the sim clinic. And then, you know, some opportunities came up. They asked me to come full time, but I wasn't ready to leave my practice. Mm -hmm. And there were times where I was ready to leave, but they didn't have an opening. Mm. So it was <laughs> just a matter of um, when they had the opening, I was the person with the background that they needed. And at that time, I had an option or, you know, a potential buyer for my practice, and I was able to speed that up and make the change. What would you say is the most satisfying part of this job? And on the contrary, what's the least satisfying part? Uh, the most satisfying is seeing students progress from, if you will, beginners as D1s mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to D2s. Mm -hmm. And this morning I've sent three emails to D4s that are graduating mm -hmm. that I saw last week in the IADR meeting and they were just stand-up professional people. Mm -hmm. So that, mm -hmm. is, that it's fun to watch the transition. The transition, yeah. right. And yes, I've been in the practice. You have to remember, I graduated in 1976, so that was, what, 45 years ago? So, you know, I can help the new people coming in have a little easier time to get started, which is mm -hmm. rewarding. Mm -hmm. Um, the least satisfying. Or the most difficult. Well, I think the most difficult is probably um, not being the one that makes the final decisions. When I had mm -hmm. my own practice, mm -hmm. you know, the buck stopped at my desk. Mm -hmm. I had the final decision in everything that happened in the office. Mm. So we all have input on what goes on here at school, mm -hmm. and I have great bosses, mm -hmm. but it's taken a little bit of adjustment just mm. to, if I say, hey, I think I should lecture on this, they go, no, that's not part of the curriculum. Mm. Okay, so yeah. I move on. Okay. So, but I really, I love my job. Uh -huh. I'm very privileged to be here. Um, and I honestly, after practicing for 43 years, I have no regrets retiring and coming to full-time mm -hmm. academics. Mm -hmm. Were you working five days a week in your practice before you retired? Uh, no, I was working, when I came as a D1 instructor, uh -huh. I, I put in four days. Okay. When I came as a D2 instructor, I dropped to three days, and I did have an associate for a couple years. Mm -hmm. um, and then the practice got a little bit smaller as I got older, and I could manage everything myself in mm -hmm. three days. Mm -hmm. So from basically 2016 to 2020, I had a three-day-a-week practice and two days here. Okay, so you were still working five days a week, essentially. Oh, yes. Yes. So the transition from private practice to to teaching, it wasn't like you were working two days a week in practice and then transition to five days a no. week in school. No, and actually now I put in more hours <laughs> of work time in a week okay. than I did when I was practicing mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of preparation time for all faculty members, whether it's mm. in the evenings, mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm an early bird, so I'll mm -hmm. get up in the morning and work for a couple hours before I come to school. Mm. Uh, I'll put in three or four hours on a Saturday, mm -hmm. two or three hours on a Sunday, mm. uh, just getting ready for the following week. So when you add up all those hours, it, it was more than what I was putting into my mm. practice. That makes sense. What would you say separates the top 10% of dental students in simulation lab from the bottom 90%? I would say their, um, if I say their personal ambition, it doesn't mean that everyone in the class doesn't have ambition, ambition but I think students have either goals for themselves that they've written down or just thought about. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's what separates the top 10% and I wouldn't say the bottom 90%. I mean, everybody's going to graduate. They're all going to be really, yeah. really good GPs or specialists or whatever. Uh -huh. But some people just have, some people are just born with um, a different set of values mm -hmm. that they want to pursue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you and the others in, in the fellowship groups, I think, are are part of that cadre, if you will. Mm. Um, you know, those programs are open to everybody, mm -hmm. but you have to be willing to, it's gonna sound kinda harsh, but you have to be willing to step up and pay the price mm -hmm. and work hard at it to, mm -hmm. to achieve it. So, mm -hmm. not that the others in your classes aren't good achievers, they mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's always gonna be a group that is just up there. Mm -hmm. And that could eventually translate into like going out and taking more CE and stuff mm -hmm. when you're a dentist. Right. What do you think keeps a struggling dental student struggling? Well, knowing the personalities of dentists, mm -hmm. I would tell you that if students have a difficult subject rather and I you know I, it's been a long time since I've been a student other mm -hmm. than you know I'm mm -hmm. a 69 year old perpetual <laughs> student yeah um, I think it's allocation of time that you spend on something that's difficult for you hmm. and it becomes frustrating you know, mm -hmm. like let's take farm because mm -hmm. everybody farm is hard yeah. period yeah it takes more time than any of your other classes mm -hmm. But in the long run, it's important, mm -hmm. but it's no more important than any of your other classes. Mm -hmm. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. So I think it's just time allocation, and some of that just comes from having years of experience, mm -hmm. maturity, mm -hmm. and things like that, and learning, okay, I've got to stop here and walk away and go do something else. Mm. Yeah. Um, Maybe a little no different than the, the, situ the clinical situation you shared with me mm -hmm. from yesterday. That mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's just better to be nice, mm -hmm. terminate the, the the study time, and mm -hmm. go do something else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, what would you? So I just started my third year, so I'll, I'm doing treatment plan presentations and. Um, 
in a way trying to sell treatment to people. Mm -hmm. What would you say to a dental student who who struggles with case acceptance? My first comment would be to not become frustrated with yourself. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to not become frustrated with the patient. Mm -hmm. We have to remember Mm -hmm. that we have a knowledge base that the patient does not have or Mm -hmm. cannot have. My biggest thing would be that it takes several years of case practicing case presentation skills and people skills Mm. to become good at it, Mm -hmm. okay? When I think back my first few years in practice, it's no wonder that people left my practice because I was, you know, I wasn't Mm. real good at case presentation. My Mm -hmm. people skills were okay, but not what some people wanted. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, in dentistry, if there's anything that gets gets shortchanged a little bit, Mm -hmm. it's the development of people skills and case presentation skills, Mm -hmm. because that's really patient psychology, Mm -hmm. and we're not trained as psychologists, Mm -hmm. but we're immediately thrust into a situation, just as all D3s are, now you Mm -hmm. have to present six crowns, two endos, and Mm -hmm. some perio to a patient. Yeah. And they don't have any pain problems. Yeah. So, I think my encouragement to students or young practitioners would be that all of those skills come to you eventually if you're willing to work on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know young practitioners that pick it up right away, mm-hmm. which is kind of their gift. Mm-hmm. I know older practitioners that never paid attention to it, and mm-hmm. it's their way or the highway, mm-hmm. and their practices are lacking perhaps in success. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. So unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I I do want to ask you one more question, kind of like to tie a bow around everything. Okay. If you were to graduate dental school today, yes, what is one piece of advice you would tell yourself, knowing what you know now? Say you were 25 again. Knowing what I know now, Mm -hmm. I would... Uh, well, this goes back to what the, the, the style of education was when I was in school. Mm. Specialty training was not a big part of what my undergraduate dental school training was. Mm-hmm. At Northwestern, we had every specialty program within mm-hmm. the school with residents except public health. Okay. Um, so knowing what I know and enjoy in dentistry now, mm-hmm. Uh, if I was getting ready to graduate, I would seek a, speci- a specialty training program mm-hmm. in oral medicine and oral facial pain, and mm-hmm. then probably get a PhD okay. in, in some discipline related to that as mm-hmm. well. So it would be expanding my education a little mm-hmm. bit more. Nothing wrong with getting out and getting started. Mm-hmm. Heavens, mm-hmm. I raised my family. I paid mm-hmm. their college tuitions. Mm-hmm. I paid off my house, paid yeah. off cars. Yeah. It was great. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have, uh, if I had to do it over again or things mm-hmm. that I would look at, um, I would explore specialty training a little bit. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So you would go into more specialized dentistry. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Hancock. Thank you, Andrew. I really Always enjoyed a pleasure. this time and I'll have to have you on again sometime. <laughs> and thanks to all Anytime. the listeners. <laughs>